0: You're listening to a best of edition of Stacey on the Right.
1: She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: And I think on on health reform, on uh, on drug pricing, on a whole range of areas, uh, on the issue of infrastructure, there are there are common interests uh, if the president's team and the Democrats in the House can find mm-hmm. you have the patience
3: to sit down and talk to each other. The people of Florida deserve fairness and transparency, and the supervisors are failing to give it to us. Every Floridian should be concerned there may be rampant fraud happening in Palm Beach and Broward Counties.
1: This is the closest U.S. Senate race contest in Florida history, and even though Senator Nelson is still behind at this point, He and his campaign team and their attorneys fully believe in the end
3: they will win re-election. No ragtime group of liberal activists or lawyers from D.C. will be allowed to steal this election from the voters in this great state. I am proud to be the next senator from the great state of Florida and look forward to going up there and making Washington work for all Americans. And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Welcome back to the program. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. For whatever it's worth, with the liberals sanctioning, and they took 200 of my followers away overnight. Um, but you know, we do what we can. I'm still tweeting. I'm still on the platform. It's at StaceyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram, and then you can also find me at StaceyOnTheRight.com, Afr.net, and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Welcome to the program. Happy Friday to ya! And I hope you have great plans for the weekend. If it's nothing but rest and relaxation and getting in the pew on Sunday or Saturday evening, yes, yes to all of that. And I encourage you to find it at your church or perhaps Bible Study Fellowship or CBS, any one of those organizations that has Bible studies around the country. Find one in your local area. It's a great way to plug into other Christians. You'd be surprised at how many people study the Bible religiously as a part of their Christian walk, and it's a wonderful way To draw closer to God and to really, you have to gird yourself up for the times that we live in. So uh, really glad to have you with us today, this afternoon on the program. We have Zach Morgan. He's a staff attorney for the Institute for Free Speech. He is one of our favorite guests. And really, really nice young man, married. They live in D.C. Um, he's an attorney. And and I met him at the Trump International Hotel in the restaurant there when I was having dinner with my uh, associate producer, Demetrius Minor, on a trip to D.C. I was there to actually visit the White House. And we all happened to be in town at the same time and we had dinner. And so I got a chance to meet Zach. Really nice man. Um, really someone that we are so grateful to have on the program. So he'll be with us next segment. And I want to talk a little bit about Uh, the Berlin wall coming down. So uh, known on the program is that I grew up in Germany. And when I was a kid, we actually took a field trip to the Berlin wall. And a part of the field trip to the Berlin wall back then actually allowed you to take your tour bus. You'd literally, you'd be in Berlin and we would tour the city of Berlin. We would get out and go to a couple of landmarks there, then get back onto the charter bus. And we would take the charter bus through the checkpoint Charlie in the Berlin wall And you'd get to do like a circuit around in the other side of Berlin and then come back through the wall. So we couldn't get out while we were there, but we could take a tour. And it was like literally, I remember as a kid, I described it to my parents the night that we came back from that trip. I described it to them as going from color world to black and white world because everything on the other side of the wall in East Berlin was so colorless and gray and shabby really just old and shabby looking. And so later on, I was in college when the Berlin Wall came down and my parents actually have a piece of it uh, at their house. It's among some of the things that they brought back from Germany after living there for 14 years. And they have a piece of the Berlin Wall. It has the graffiti and everything. When they tore it down, they broke it into chunks and they used the money that they raised by selling off the pieces to, it was a part of the effort where they tore the wall down first and then they began to pour money into East Berlin to try to bring it up to speed with West Berlin and West Germany. Um, East Germany had to be basically uplifted by West Germany because they were so far behind the times after that separation, the wall separating them, the lack of commerce, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's wonderful to have that anniversary. We had now entered into an era in, a, in our international politics where the Berlin wall has been down longer than it was up 10,300 and some odd days that it was up. And now we've surpassed that in the time that it was down. So it's a blessing to think back on that and to ponder it and to really consider where we are. It's not all bad news and we really have to keep our perspective, you know, as the little girl said in the video, keep our feelings low in the middle, not too volatile, not too, not too much movement, just view things the normal way. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's I, just, I have a lot of memories from growing up in Germany and the travels that we had and the things that I got to see, which at the time, they didn't seem so extraordinary. But now after living in the United States, and I, I know it sounds weird for me to say it's so much fun to live in the United States, but I grew up in Germany. And so I love Germany. It's a beautiful country. It was a wonderful place to grow up but America is just so much fun. <laughs> There's just no other way to describe it. America is so much more. America is so as the youth like to say, America's extra. Everything here is extra. So it's it's we we have to we have to be so grateful to God that we're living here and that we this is our country and this that we're citizens here. So really wonderful to think about that. Now I want to go back to you have Governor Rick Scott. And I mean, he was laying down the law in this press conference. I have a little bit more audio from him because it's, it's instructive for us to understand where he's coming from as the governor of the state of Florida and knowing what has gone on before with election fraud, voter fraud. And we have this coming from all over the country down in Texas. Gateway Pundit is reporting that poll workers actually on the button cam admitting that they allowed illegal immigrants to vote. I mean, it's time for the hammer to come down. How do these people get away with this stuff? And most of us can't get away with parking someplace incorrectly without getting a ticket. Most of us can't go five seconds over the limit with our car registration or our tags before we get hemmed up and, and a fine levied against us. And these individuals are actually subverting our electoral processes. I told you it's not the Russians. It's people in this country who don't respect the rule of law trying to get their own aims accomplished as opposed to just letting the voters decide. I hate losing. I hate to see Republicans go down in flames. But I also know, just like our last guest, Sarah Rosier, said, you know, the candidate matters just as much as the message. And the candidate who's willing to work the hardest and connect to people the most is the one who usually wins. Unless you're in Florida, Arizona or Texas, apparently. So uh, or Georgia, I should say. Um, So let's let's listen to Governor Rick Scott. It's a, a short clip here. It's number two.
3: The people of Florida deserve fairness and transparency, and the supervisors are failing to give it to us. Every Floridian should be concerned there may be rampant fraud happening in Palm Beach and Broward counties. And the Broward Supervisor of Elections, Brenda Snipes, has a history of acting in absolute bad faith. As you will recall, a judge ruled just this last year that the office violated both state and federal laws by illegally destroying ballots in 2016. In 2016, Brenda Snipes' office posted elections results half an hour before the polls closed, a clear violation of election law. That same year, office was sued for leaving amendments off of ballots. In 2014, Brenda Snipes' fellow Democrats accused her of individual and systemic breakdowns that made it difficult for voters to cast regular ballots. All Floridians should be concerned about this. Palm Beach County is also refusing to provide information to the public. And they're illegally refusing to allow official party representatives into the ballot counting area and forcing people to stand behind a glass wall with limited visibility and no ability to hear what is going on. This is a clear violation of Florida law and we have just filed a lawsuit. Both Broward and Palm Beach counties have failed in their duty to follow Florida law which requires that vote by mail and absentee ballots are counted within 30 minutes of polls closing. Mm-hmm. Further, Palm Beach County has failed to update the department of states since 10:19 a.m. yesterday. This is in complete violation of Florida law which requires updated reports every 45 minutes until results are completely reported. We've all seen the incompetence and the irregulators in vote tabulations in Broward and Palm Beach for years. Well, here we go again. Mm. I will not sit idly by while unethical liberals try to steal this election from the great people of Florida.
4: And he's right. Someone has to stand up for what's right. And, And again, I don't care if, if it was Republicans down there stuffing ballot boxes and magically finding additional votes, I would say, well, I can't get behind that. I don't want to win that badly. I don't want to win like that and no one should. You and don't don't try me with this. Well, we have to because the Republicans are racist. Where in the Bible does it say, "Go ahead and sin, Christians," because when you encounter a racist, that's a that's carte blanche. You got the you got the go ahead. It's a get out of jail free card. Sin all you want. You got to put those racists down. God's word says, "We do not overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good." God's word says when everything looks bleak and it looks like you're not able to overcome that you continue to press forward, that you trust God. He's your shield. He's your buckler. He's your high tower. And when he gives the go ahead and says, go, you go, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You run up that hill. You take that hill and look forward to the next one. You do not stop. You do not falter because when he says it's time to go, you go. So whatever the circumstances look like, you can trust that when God says it's time for something to happen, it's going to happen because all of these things occur in his good time. And if you feel like cheating is something you have to do to win, then you're not, you're, that's, that's not the side you're supposed to be on. Cheating, that means you know you can't win on the issues. That means you know you can't convince people uh, on, on the merit. That means you don't actually think you have the winning ideas. Is that where we are? I've heard a lot of talk, and we, we need to talk about this right now. We need to get it out of the way. It's two things. First of all, why are people running around like Bernie Sanders saying that the reason that Andrew Gillum didn't win in Florida and Stacey Abrams didn't win in Georgia is because they're black? Exactly who is Bernie Sanders anyway? I mean, help me out here because I'm I'm – feeling like I don't understand the processes. First of all, is Bernie Sanders black? Last I checked, he was of Jewish extraction. So what is he talking about? And second of all, is it Andrew Gillum's permanent tan or is it the fact that he was talking about socialism and raising taxes on all of the people in the state of Florida? I'm pretty sure Floridians could have cared less that he's black. They were more concerned about the fact that they just moved A lot of Floridians have either just moved or moved within the last 10, 15, 20 years from high-tax states like California and New York. They get down to Florida. They finally settle in, start enjoying the weather. And then Andrew Gillum comes along and says, well, you don't pay any income tax. We need to do something about that. And they were like, not today, Satan. Get your behind up to one of those high-tax states and run up there, which also, again, I don't get it. Why doesn't Andrew Gillum go to Illinois, California, or New York and run on this high-taxation platform. Those are the places where that would be well-received because those are the states where they don't seem to care about paying a lot in tax. Everyone who cares about it dive bombs out of there. People literally put their stuff in moving trucks and move away from states where the taxes are too high. So why would the people of Florida ever toy around with that? I don't even understand how we got any votes. I don't care. He... And I hate it when people say he could be purple polka dotted because I've never seen a purple polka dotted person. But I, he could be as black as that beautiful supermodel who she's the darkest woman that we know of on the face of this planet. He could be uh, an albino. I don't think it would have mattered to voters. What mattered to them is that he said he needed to put an income tax and in, institute it so that he could pay for the government programs he feels Floridians need. That's why he lost Stacey, Gil, or Stacey Abrams in Georgia the reason she didn't win in a landslide is because a lot of people took took stock. They looked around their house and their safes and they're, they're, they're under the bed and on top of this cabinet and then the secret compartment over the, the, the headboard and they saw their guns and they saw the fact that they own AR-15s and that there are so many other long guns that have the same capability and take the same ammunition as the AR-15. And they thought to themselves, this woman isn't just about banning my AR-15. She actually would toy around with trying to get a bipartisan coalition together to come to my door and confiscate my firearm. Now, we all know what that looks like. We don't have to imagine it because Charles C.W. Cook over at National Review actually wrote an article about it. I've covered it here on the show, but I'll recap it for you briefly. What gun confiscation in this country looks like is 20 to 30 percent of Americans going war- going to war with whatever government entity dares come knocking on doors. It means literally another civil war. That's what gun confiscation looks like in a country where the Second Amendment is a God given, constitutionally protected right. That's why she didn't get elected. Who cares what color she is? When we get back, we have Zach Morgan, staff attorney for Institute for Free Speech. Keep it here.
1: What if I told you that you could clean your family's laundry and help reach the next generation at the same time? That opportunity is here, through a company called Redeem Clean. Every time you use Redeem Clean products, you help support the ministry of the American Family Association. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean laundry detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made in the USA. And they were developed exclusively for the support of the American Family Association. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more, find options, and order Redeem Clean products at redeemclean.afastore.net. That's redeemclean.afastore.net. This is
5: Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Progressive partisans want to reform the U.S. Senate because of its unequal representation. Frustrated after Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed as an associate justice, they point out that Democrat senators represent a much larger percentage of the American populace than Republican senators. That is certainly true. The votes of two senators from California with a population of 39 million are equal to the votes of two senators from Wyoming with a population around 590,000. But it's also worth mentioning that Democrats dominate in a number of small states like Vermont, Delaware, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Hawaii. Demographers even predict that two decades from now, half of the population of the U.S. will live in just eight states. That, to me, makes the case for the Senate. Otherwise, we would just have a handful of states deciding everything for the rest of the nation. As we know from our history, the bicameral Congress was a compromise that made it possible for both large states and small states to ratify the Constitution. If any other proposal were seen as too advantageous to big or small states, it would have failed. We are the beneficiaries of a compromise that forces diverse sectors of our society to work together to craft legislation fair to everyone. I might also add that all of this talk of reforming the U.S. Senate is just that talk. First, you would need an amendment to the Constitution that requires two-thirds of a vote in both houses of Congress and ratification by three-fourths of the states. Second, even if you could get an amendment, it would be vetoed by one state. Article 5 of the Constitution also dictates that a state cannot be deprived of its equal suffrage without consent. The small states would never agree to any amendment reducing their representation. Progressives can complain all they want about the U.S. Senate, but nothing is going to change. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From GraceWorks Pictures,
1: Indivisible, based on the true story of Army chaplain Darren Turner and his wife, Heather. Rated PG-13. Now playing IndivisibleMovie.com. You're listening to a best
0: of edition of Stacey on the Right. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American
1: Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Welcome back to the program. I I said two things. So I told you the first thing was Bernie Sanders has no say here in why people didn't vote for black candidates. It's just utterly ridiculous, and I refuse to accept it. And the second thing before we get to our guests very briefly is that this idea that the Women's March and other groups out there can casted, castigate white women voters for their votes because it turns out that they didn't vote for these minority candidates – that is also a lie from the pit of hell. If you are a white woman and you voted for Ted Cruz or uh, any of these candidates that that on the Republican side and you voted for them for biblical reasons or because that's the candidate that you liked, because it, you voted for them because it's your right. You are not to ever accept someone making you feel guilty for being white or a woman or for voting in a way that they did not like. It is not your responsibility to make other people feel good about their sin. It is your responsibility to remember that you're going to answer just as I will, not for being a black woman, but for every action and word and thought that I have taken. That is what I will be held accountable for, not for she was black and she didn't vote for this. God is not concerned with the color of our skin. He made all of us. He's aware of all of that. He's concerned that we adhere to what God's word says and know that we're going to be held accountable so this idea that we can guilt white women into feeling bad about not voting for these horrible candidates is something that has to be rejected and I want to be one of the first people out there to say it not because I'm a black person or because it irrelevant irrelevant all of that is nonsense and we should never allow ourselves to be dragged into it now because that was number two I want to make sure and get that out we are going to welcome to the show Zach Morgan, staff attorney for the Institute for Free Speech. And really, we just, we just like Zach a lot. He's one of our favorite people. Zach, thank you for joining us.
6: Thanks for having me, Stacey.
4: <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this. You've got the current litigation, Massachusetts fiscal lines. What, what's going on?
6: Well, I regret to inform you that the, uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is not respecting people's First Amendment rights. as shocking as you may find that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what I'm representing is I'm representing a, a group called the Massachusetts Fiscal Alliance, and we're challenging a basically a tax on speech that Massachusetts has. But uh, a similar law uh, was recently adopted in South Dakota, Rhode Island, Maine. This is a sort of a, a cancer that's slowly starting to that it's slowly starting to infect uh, just generally discourse in the country, where the government requires on the face of every communication that mentions the candidate that the government gets to take up about 20 to 30% of the message with the government's own script uh, in, in its own way. It's kind of uh, a, a political tinge to the, um, the pro-life pregnancy center case uh-huh. uh, where the government was forcing people to keep the, the crisis pregnancy centers in California to carry the government's message about abortion and government services here. We've got the government requiring the Massachusetts fiscal alliance to take their CEO put them on camera, speak a government message the last eight to ten seconds, and then on top of that, uh, base, uh, place the, the, the name of the top five funders of the organization on the face of the ad as if they were its true authors. It's uh, it, it is it's one of the most aggressive campaign finance laws in the country. And mm. uh, so we, we've decided to, to uh, try to vindicate the first amendment.
4: So, Zach, because first of all, what you're describing sounds like something straight out of like 1984 or some kind of, uh, you know, one of these dystopian novels where they force you to say a script before you can say what you really want to say. Uh, you know, in other words, we even control the words that are coming out of your mouth. I, obviously, this would be unconstitutional. Do you expect to win or? Well, uh,
6: I, I, I have to say it is it is really depressing, the, 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 the scope of the law. It's, it's not only that they, are, they, they name the person it has to be, as well, it has to be the CEO or principal officer. The, the organization can't even choose their own spokesman. Uh, it has to be on camera. The state filed some paperwork actually saying that it was, it was important that he make eye contact with the audience, as he, uh, he mouths the state's words. So we, right before the election, we filed for a temporary restraining order in the District of Massachusetts, and unfortunately, we did not, we did not get that. Uh, so we're going to, uh, we're going to continue fighting. Hopefully, I, I do agree with you, though. The, the compelled speech doctrine in the Supreme Court is, is extremely clear, uh, in cases going back to the 1960s, that the government can't, can't tax speech this way, uh, let alone force organizations to dox their principal funders on, at, at the cost of talking about politics in the state. But, uh, unfortunately, right, as of now, that's still the law in Massachusetts. And I'd add on election day the other day that people in North Dakota uh, they 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 voted a, on a on a measure instructing the state legislature in North Dakota to, to craft a, a similar type of disclosure law. So this is this is something that needs to be arrested, and hopefully uh, this case can be a vehicle to do that.
4: I am still trying to figure out how. So in other words, bad behavior begets bad behavior in other states. So one state's doing something wrong, and the other states are like, "Hey." That's a novel idea. We can control people with and what they say. Let's let's do that over here too. Are you, are you talking about taking it to court in Massachusetts, and then then what after? Because if you lose there, then you would appeal to. Would it be one of the appellate circuit courts, or does it go straight to the Supreme Court?
6: So yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. Um, base, so we we filed in federal district court. Uh, depending on how that goes, obviously um, at the end of the day, then you go to the circuit court of appeals. The first circuit controls that. And then, uh, and then ultimately, the, if, if, if it has to go that far, uh, it would be a, a case that the Supreme Court uh, might hear. Uh, it, it, this is something that I think that, that the, the court needs to address in some fashion, if not in this case then in another case. Because so many people, when they think about these campaign finance laws, they think really all it is is you're just forcing the disclosure of extraordinarily large funders uh, who directly pay for communication. And it's like, oh, well, you know, if somebody gives a million dollars to a super PAC, it, it, it's perfectly fine for, for them to be uh, to be disclosed. And because the court allowed sort of that to occur, uh, the states have just decided to take that, that, that ball and run with it. And now, it, I mean, the law in Massachusetts is triggered uh, by spending $250, and it applies to all communication, uh, written, print. Internet, online, some form of government speech uh, has to be placed directly on the form of the communication. And what's kind of funny about this, in 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 the, in our case, the uh, the state senator that we uh, that their communications were was going to mention was running uncontested. He, 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 there was there was no threat to his reelection. He, the the communications they wanted to run were just talked about a legislative pay raise, and said you know contact your state senator see how he voted on it, and, uh, you know, hold the line against government spending. It had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with the election at all, but nevertheless, state of Massachusetts said, okay, we need your CEO to stand up there, look into the camera, say this script that we have written for you. And then uh, on top of that, uh, we we would really like to know the five major donors to your organization, even though, typically speaking, that information is kept private uh, by virtue of the federal tax code. So hopefully this uh, hopefully this does get shaken out because it is a very egregious First Amendment violation.
4: Hmm. I, I'm still I'm still I just <laughs> I'm rarely speechless, but uh, whoa! Well, so is my client. <laughs> 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 they, they, I guess they so. He can't say make... anything. Oh wow, wow, yeah,
6: yeah. yeah no, I mean it, it is it is an odd thing for the government. The government uh, argued, you know, if, if we we don't license our speech this way, then that's going to, be, that's going to create a, a poorly informed electorate is, is, is their argument. But what they're really doing is they're, they're choking off and depriving the electorate of these types of messages. I mean, it, we, we put this in our papers. Uh, the, the actual cost of carrying the government's message is quantifiable. Uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was thousands of extra dollars to run the radio and television communications they wanted to run if they wanted to run the script that they had, but then also have to mouth the government's language. It's, I, I, I'm not really using the word text uh, on speech in a very euphemistic way. It, it, it more or less is. And, it's, uh, and again, this, this, this is going to be the future of campaign finance law, unless these things are arrested now. This will eventually be, become the federal model.
4: So aside from Massachusetts and then the, the state that you just named that is like, Oh yeah, let's jump on that bandwagon. Are there any other cases that you're aware of across the country where this has been upheld or is, is there any precedent for this Where Cause I don't understand where they thought this might be okay.
6: Um, yeah, uh, there, there, it, it's kind of uh, darkly funny actually, because North Carolina adopted a, a similar model, um, requiring you to go up, give this government, government, a uh, directive script. And it, uh, and the legislature, after one, I think, just one round of elections with this, realized this is a terrible idea and repealed it. And uh, but, uh, you, you know our political campaigns will often file ethics complaints against other political campaigns because everybody's terrible? Um, mm-hmm. Somebody didn't properly mouth the script correctly, and so somebody filed an ethics complaint against that campaign. And six years later, three years after the law had been actually repealed, uh, a, 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 an appellate court in the state of North Carolina, not even a federal court, said, oh, this this looks fine. We, we think this is, co- this is constitutional because the the people who had received the ethics complaint said, well, you can't fine us for an ethics violation for some, for not complying with an unconstitutional law. And uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts pointed to that case. And uh, and so did they, they, the federal judge denying us the TRO. But other than that, the... All of, all of the available precedent, the Supreme Court, even a, a case in, in the Ninth Circuit from 2004 called where the ACLU Nevada sued, uh, generally says states can't do this. But this particular type of law has never has never been challenged before, uh, before the Massachusetts Fiscal Alliance decided to take it on.
4: Well... I I'm glad you're on the case. I have to say. Thank I'm you. glad you're you're yeah, I'm I we need you on the case. And then we also, I guess we just have this. There's this we need people to understand what the constitution says about free speech. If people understood mm-hmm. that, they wouldn't make laws like this. Like they they would they would say, oh, we can't make a law like that because that's unconstitutional. This this is a direct result of people not understanding our rights under the Constitution.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then the the other thing that, that I found in, in my experience in litigating these types of cases is the government always says, well, you know, if, if revealing this information or compliance with this law caused there to be threats, harassment, reprisals by private actors or the government against your donors, well, then you could come and, and, and ask for an exception. And I, I find that so, so odd, one, because it... it the exception's never given, for the most part. But two, it, it's post that they, they, they want you to mouth the government's words, uh, you know, uh, uh, publicize private information about your donors, and then on the off chance that somebody decides to take matters into their own hands and somebody gets hurt, then and only then can you maybe not have to comply with the law that harmed you in the first place. It, it's, it's precisely the opposite of, that, of the way these types of government acts should work, right? The... The government should ha- should have the onus of proving that its law won't harm anybody, not us saying that, uh, well, you know, in the absence of some other extraneous harm, then we don't have to. Then we have to comply with the Constitution. It, but but uh, it, it's an argument that the government makes, and a lot of times it's unfortunately accepted in, in, in courts and by state legislatures.
4: Well, we got to put a stop to that. Um, and, but that's why we have the Institute for Free Speech, Um, Your website is ifs.org, ifs.org. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for publicizing this case. I think uh, Americans should be, we we have to provide the oversight. We're the citizens. We we allow these people to govern over us by electing them. We have to start watching these people. And when they start bringing this stuff up, that's when you email or you make a phone call or you show up to a public meeting and say, this is not something that is going to stand because we are going to vote you out if you put something like this in, in effect. We have to start being more active.
6: Yeah, no. Uh, they, uh, we I, I know I always say this whenever I come on, uh, I come on the show. But we need a we need a very flexible society. Uh, it can't just be you know a large overbearing government and autonomous individuals. People need to, and and that's one of the the real that's the collateral damage done by these campaign finance laws. When they make it harder for people to organize and talk about policy, what they're really doing is they're breaking apart the, the bonds of civil society that connect us to one another and leaving us all in sort of listless atomize these individuals with no connection to one another. I mean, I'm I'm overstating it somewhat, but it it does damage to that. And uh, I I agree with you. I wish, I I, I, I want, I I think people need to, people need to get together, people need to engage with the Constitution, and people need to remember, I mean, everybody says they're for free speech in the abstract, but nobody ever wants free speech rights for for their political opponents. We need to remember that the First Amendment exists to protect all of us.
4: Well, if we don't, we'll all be mouthing these weird statements that some peon wrote, and, and I think we'll be pretty unhappy about it. <laughs> I think we oh, yeah. will be very unhappy about it. Um, thank you so much, Zach, for joining the show today. Have a wonderful weekend, and good luck with the case.
6: Thank you so much, Stacey. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
4: All right. Talk to you again soon. Wow. You know, these, these cases that come about... But it's not in a vacuum. This is an intentional subversion of the Constitution. And it's done by people who they kind of feel like, well, I know this isn't constitutional and I know this isn't right, but let's try it and see if it sticks. And if it's tried and people like Zach Morgan and his organization, Institute for Free Speech, aren't there to defend these business owners, these uh, people who are running for office, not for profits, if they're not there to pick up the slack then you basically have all of us as an electorate let's face it if you are one of those beautiful people who you have a life and you you listen to radio during the day but the majority of your time is not spent reading the drudge report and the daily caller and uh, daily wire and you know you you basically you have a life then you're not you're not going to be paying close enough attention to realize that this is going on and that's what they're counting on so i i find that i'm constantly striving for the middle which is a balanced life that is not all politics, but is not completely devoid of politics so that we can provide some oversight. And I know for me, you know, obviously this show is national. We do a lot of national politics. We also do uh, as much as we can from Missouri when it, when it is, you know, impactful on the national scene. But there's also, uh, I have friends who are here locally that their, their purview is just Missouri politics and all that they, when they're doing Any kind of political work, it's on the Missouri political scene. And they're the ones that I can call up and say or text and say, hey, do you know anything about this amendment or do you know anything about this issue or why aren't the Republicans or the Democrats doing this or that? And they usually are very knowledgeable or can point me to where I need to go to get the information. But we all have a responsibility to give oversight to these elected officials, municipalities, et cetera, et cetera, because without it, they come up with stuff like this. Pure garbage should never have been allowed to have been made into a law. Unbelievable. All right, we have the last segment of the show coming up. We'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Be right back.
0: We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington DC, America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battle front. We praise God for your faithfulness and may he give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations.
4: This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia once said of Christians, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity, be fools for Christ, and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Are we truly willing to suffer the ire of our coworkers and so called friends for taking unpopular Christian positions? In most cases, no, since polling by Barna Group shows that only 4% of Christians hold a biblical worldview. Christians, it's time to choose. Scripture says we can only serve one master. If we are to truly impact our nation for Christ, we must repent of our sins and turn away from them for good. The eyes of the Lord continually roam the earth searching for a righteous man that he might show himself strong in. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com.
5: Military matters. The Rio Grande Valley sector is the busiest in the nation for illegal crossings. Customs and Border Protection says it made more than 21,000 arrests here in October alone. Agents say they welcome the assistance from the U.S. military, with thousands of active duty troops now deployed along the southern border. The defenses and the troops could be tested if the caravan reaches the border and hundreds or thousands of migrants try to rush in at once what they have here at this new camp is pretty impressive a lot of heavy equipment humvees the big coils of concertina wire and a lot of connex containers that could be used to build temporary walls uh, along with the wire which is being used to reinforce protection at some of these border crossing areas we don't know exactly how many are here but we know there are thousands of boots on the ground dispatched from here to help out wherever customs and border protection says it needs the help but obviously not We've been reminded for law enforcement duties. Rick Leventhal, Fox News. You're listening to a best of edition of Stacey on the Right. You can download episodes of Stacey on the Right from
6: the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com.
2: Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, I think if the president can set up two years of Nancy Pelosi presiding over crazies, that'll help him. But I think his bigger interest is, what does he want to get done for the country? What does the country want? Washington to get done, and to the degree that, and and, and I will give cri- uh, Bill Clinton credit, he brilliantly would come back on Medicare, Medicaid, environment, and education. No matter what you ask him, he'd come back and say, I'm really working hard on all these things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't have time for all that, that, that stuff. And he and gradually built a contrast that got him re-elected in 96, even though he had a terrible off-year election. If uh, the, the, the president focused focus on being president... Right. I think that 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 uh, that as opposed to being the leader of the opposition party to Nancy Pelosi, well- of course, they'll fight back. And I, look, I have no idea what he's going to end up doing. Uh, I think that there are a lot of good lessons to learn out of the election just, that we just had. I think the president is serious about getting reelected, but he's also serious about being a historic figure. If you look at what he's done with judges, what he's done with deregulation, what he's doing with North Korea, uh, the, the president wants to be more than just a sparring partner with le- mm-hmm. with left wing Democrats.
4: And and honestly, he may find it invigorating and the president might be, you know, he might be one of those people who he gets up, he's here for it on a daily basis. Um, But I also see in him a desire to get the things on his list done. And if you're one of those people, if you're a list person, you know what I'm talking about. You know how it is. You get your list and you start crossing stuff off. And as the day wears on, you start looking at that list and thinking, am I just not going to make this list? Like, am I not going to get this done? And it becomes the frustration starts to drive you to you're moving things around. You're like, I, this is something I can truncate to get finished because I got to get checked off because I got to get to these last items. Items that carry over from the day before are infuriating. It's like uh, it's a it's like something that's beating you. It's winning and you're losing. You have to get it off your list. So I, I believe the president has that same attitude. And, of course, there's an eye towards the legacy. You want the presidency to be viewed positively afterwards. President Obama certainly has been concerned about his legacy. That's why he keeps popping up, making these comments about how he's the one who's responsible for the economy. And, and, and things weren't really as bad as he keeps saying. And Donald Trump's a liar because he's saying bad things about my presidency. And y'all remember, it was hope and change. It was good, y'all. Remember, I used to slow GM the news. I was awesome. You guys loved me. Don't listen to this guy. He's concerned about his legacy, too. So we got a couple quick things to run down. First of all, President Trump has actually made an announcement that he's tightening asylum claims at the border. And I want to get the truth out to you so you have it under your belt for when people start getting triggered. Basically, the president is using the authority granted to the executive by Congress to bar aliens who violate a presidential suspension of entry or other restriction from asylum eligibility. So acting attorney general Matt Whitaker is saying that the intent of this policy move is to funnel Central American migrants to legal ports of entry for an expedited process. It is also to get this through their heads that you are only an asylee if you accept asylum from the first country that offers it. Any person who has refused asylum from the country of Mexico is no longer an asylum seeker. They are an economic migrant, and we have no responsibility to take them in. Get triggered. I don't care. I don't care. It's not about credible fear. If you say credible fear now, it's not the magic word that gets you into the interior of the country. And... These people are going to have to stop coming in illegally. In other words, if you come in here illegally, you've just destroyed your ability to apply for asylum. And people need to start applying for asylum at our ports of entry and other centers that we have, asylum centers that we have placed in Mexico, not just coming straight to the border and crossing illegally. It's just not going to work anymore. Now, of course, th- this will be challenged in a court of law, and I hope it does so they can take it to the Supreme Court so we can banish this idea forever. Stop acting as if Donald Trump, as President Obama had, as President Bush had, like none of this has anything to do with his purview as president of the United States. Immigration comes within his purview. We were mad about it when Obama was president, and now y'all are mad about it because Trump is president. Welcome to reality. Now, there's another thing that happened. It was on the top of Drudge today, and it's Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama has written a book, and in it, she is talking a lot about Donald Trump. She doesn't like Donald Trump. And remember, this is the same woman who said she'd never been proud of America until her president, her husband was running for president. She'd never been proud of this country until her husband was the president. Now, I got a lot of problems with that. Like, I have so many major problems with that. We don't have... The time left in this program for me to fully articulate my problems with that. You know what? If you have a problem with it, call me. Let's talk about it. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. In the book, she talks about how she had a miscarriage and they used in vitro fertilization to conceive their two daughters. Now, I think that's a poignant story about ways that they were able to use in vitro fertilization and reproductive technologies that are cutting edge here in America to create the family that they, they longed for. And that's a beautiful story. I have no problem with that. And I also don't have a problem with her taking it to Donald Trump in her book. That's her right to write a book about whoever she wants, whatever she wants. She also blames Donald Trump for what she felt were, was putting a target on her family's back because he was questioning the validity of the birth certificate that Barack Obama had. But was Donald Trump the initiator of that story? Where did he get it from? Why was it in the media at all? Hillary Clinton and her surrogates put that out there during the primary campaign. The fact that Donald Trump took it and ran with it, I mean, she could be mad about it, but she needs to also take the person who initiated the story to the woodshed. And if you notice, she doesn't do that because Michelle Obama knows better. She knows better than to attack Hillary Clinton she knows better. Yes, I said it. Michelle Obama knows her place in that party that she's a part of, and it is below Hillary Clinton. In the packing order, she may be a Michelle Obama. She may be gearing up for 2020. Who knows what she's doing? But she knows she's not going to criticize Hillary Clinton in a book. How about that? I, I mean, prove me wrong. If Michelle Obama has made it her business to criticize Hillary Clinton publicly and to do so in books. I mean, please prove me wrong. Please show me where in her book she criticizes Hillary Clinton. Hillary's husband said that Barack Obama was clean and articulate, but would have been serving us coffee just a few decades ago. So, I mean, please miss me with what Donald Trump said, your political nemesis during the primary said your husband was he, that his hands look clean and that he was articulate and that not too long ago, your husband, a Columbia, uh, Columbia law. I forget what he has an Ivy League law degree, that that man would have been serving coffee to Bill Clinton not too long ago. In other words, who does he think he is running against my wife for the presidency? We are the Clintons. And these are people who would have been serving us food. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, she's attacking Donald Trump because what else can she do? The people she really needs to attack, the people who said, We blacks, we people with the natural the the natural tan, we uh we're natural born predators. We need to be brought to heal. She also said recently we all look alike. Her husband is clean and articulate. He would have been serving us coffee. Uh yeah, but She ain't going to say anything about that to them because she dare not fix her mouth to start criticizing the Clintons in a book. I guess maybe she could if she didn't have any future political aspirations, but she's going to keep the peace with those Clintons. So, you know, whoever it is that you can't criticize, that's who owns you. Whoever you can't criticize, that's who's your real master. So while you're sitting up hurling bombs at Donald Trump, who honestly could not care less about you, hadn't thought about you in a long time, isn't worried about you. But you're over there, you know, tossing your little hand grenades. But the people who are really, really tearing you down and running you down in the background, you don't dare criticize. So, yeah, I said it, you know, get triggered. You're going to be all right because you know I'm telling the truth. It may be upsetting, but it's the truth. I know somebody's going to email me and say, oh, your husband must have it so hard because you have such a bad attitude. I don't have a bad attitude and my husband doesn't have it hard. He absolutely enjoys being married to me as I enjoy being married to him. I find it so comical that people think that what I talk about politically has any bearing on what my marriage is like or how I interact with other people. I'm telling the truth to you, and if you don't like it, it has zero to do with my marriage or whether or not I'm cooking dinner tonight or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that you know you can't criticize the Clintons either. If you're a Democrat, you can't say anything about them. They can say whatever they want to about you and your permanent tan and your clean hands and your articulate talk and the fact that you should be serving coffee because that's the insinuation. He would have been serving coffee to us a few years ago, and he should still be serving coffee to us now. Who does he think he is? He's kind of uppity isn't he you can finish that off you can finish it off because you've heard it before because you know what it sounds like when somebody has a chip on their shoulder and they think they're better than you and that's the Clintons so before you start addressing the speck in Donald Trump's eye why don't you address the beam in your own eye which is that you are actually a part of a political party that thinks you are no better than a dog you look alike all the other people from your ethnic background and that in that big scheme of things, you should go get the coffee because you shouldn't be running for political office. You shouldn't be doing anything outside of what they think you should do. You victim, you person who cannot take care of yourself. That sounds kind of racist to me, only it's not Republicans saying it. Well, Heidi, ho, are we awake? Are we alive? Is Is a pig about to fly through my window? Is that what's happening right now? Oh, yeah, because it's always the Republicans who are racist. It's Donald Trump who's a white nationalist, but we've never heard him say anything like that about black people, have we? Hmm. He never said we were natural-born predators, did he? He never said we need to be brought to heal. Mm. But anyway, just whoever you can't criticize, okay? Whoever you can't talk about, that's who is in charge of you. Mm -mm -mm. Yes, that's what I said. So last uh, story for today. I'm, I'm... there, and there's so much but we're not going to get to all of it today and we'll we'll be back we'll have more to talk about um so a judge has actually ta- going back to the recount though this is getting juicy a judge has actually just ruled against Broward County that somehow uh oh he he's ruled, this judge has ruled in governor Scott's favor in the Broward elections records requ- request this judge has said that the Broward Supervisor of Elections, Brenda Snipes, must allow immediate viewing and copying of records that have been requested. And it has to be completed by 7 p.m. today. So the saga continues, y'all. The lawsuit in Broward filed against Snipes claimed that her office was withholding crucial voter information and has blocked access to the office, which is totally not allowed. At the emergency hearing on Friday, Scott's lawyers said this was a simple case about access to Broward's ballots not about how votes are counted or inspecting ballots. This information supervisor of elections should have already compiled and saved. It should take 10 minutes to do. And an attorney for Snipes said she never told them she wouldn't provide the information. Oh, well, you know, that's a lie. Snipes attorney noted that the records request was made just 26 hours before and an information request was fundamental to count the vote. Um, Snipes' attorney added that Scott didn't believe Snipes was moving fast enough to finish the vote tabulation. There's a second lawsuit by Governor Scott. He believes uh, he's actually filed a lawsuit against Palm Beach County Supervisor of Election Susan Butcher, accusing her of refusing to allow Scott's representatives to personally witness the ballot counting, also against the rules. The suit also accuses Butcher of keeping the county canvassing board from performing its duties. Okay, so... This is actually good news because it's not he's not he's not saying the, the records aren't valid. He's saying if if anything, you have to allow access according to the law. Now, once they've had access, they may call the validity into question. But this is this is a simple like this is the easiest kind of case for a judge to have come before them when it comes to these emergency rulings, which is what does the law say about access for viewing while they're doing these counts does it say you have to give access or does it say you are allowed not to give the access the law says you have to give access so that's why the emergency ruling goes in scott's favor now the next step is to question the validity of the votes as they're watching the the counting go on i think that's fantastic it's good news it's great news to end the show on i'm not looking for a specific result i'm looking for valid election results that have not been skewed or tampered with by fraudulent means. That's all we're looking for here. Um, So that's fantastic. Excellent news. Um, Up next, and I want to give you a preview for next week. uh, Tuesday, we're going to be speaking to Carol Markowitz. She's been on the program a few times before. She's a columnist for the New York Post. We also have on tap for you, um, well, I want to say, I don't know about you guys, but Are you now starting to get your menus ready for Thanksgiving? We are. I'm starting to get requests from the kids. The children are starting to make requests. Oh, I'm here for it. I'm going to make all the stuff they ask for because it's Thanksgiving. (laughs) So it's coming up. You guys have a fantastic weekend. Good evening from the heartland. God bless you. And I'll be back with you next week.